Right, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. This is the NIA boys. We got Trung Fan, me, Master Flex himself, Jack Butcher, Visualized Value Founder, and I'm Bilal Zaidi. Boys, it is Thanksgiving week. Um, I'm out in sunny California, as you'll see from my, well, you can't see from my background, but I'm in a different location. Um, we're going to talk about some some deep stuff this week. We're going to get an update on Ken Griffin winning this crazy constitution um, constitution auction that we talked about last week. We're going to talk about Hollywood and decentralization, how it will improve Hollywood and some ideas around that. We're talking about Adidas and the metaverse, aka Adiverse. Uh, and we're going to talk about why Thanksgiving is more expensive this year, why turkeys... Well, actually, I'll save the, the explanation. But go on, go on. Everybody would have eaten anyways, right? Like, the, I mean, it might not have been for everybody, and we'll talk about why. But well, they'll know we'll, by the time we'll, they're listening to this, they would have done the yeah. shopping at Costco, like Jack was doing this week, sending it in the Telegram group. How's it going, boys? What's been going on with the Thanksgiving week? What's going on there? Trung, you've done it already this year, right? Canadian yeah, Thanksgiving Cana- a month ago. We talked ago, about yeah? this. Canada just front runs America for all the holidays. So Thanksgiving is six weeks before American Thanksgiving. And then Canada Day, July 1st, is three days before the 4th of July. Let's think about that. That's what you do when you're the smaller brother in the relationship. You got to find the edges that. where you can, right? <laughs> think about it. I like to be like, think about it. This is taking someone down a YouTube rabbit yeah. hole now. <laughs> this is being picked up <laughs> in that category. Well, yeah, man, yeah, I was, exactly, was going to answer right? the question, but the front running is a perfect tee up for the Ken Griffin bit on the constitution. <laughs> yeah, oh my li- goodness, literally front right? running. <laughs> yeah, just a summary, I guess, look, by the time people listen to this, we had to record this a little earlier last week because it's Thanksgiving. So you already know Ken Griffin won the auction, the Constitution Dow crew, which includes my tiny little donation, didn't win. Um, and it came out like everyone was a little disappointed. And then a few hours later, it comes out that Ken Griffin the founder of Citadel, uh, won, right? And we were group chatting about this. So like, let's first of all explain who Ken Griffin is and how significant it is. Who wants to take that one? That's you, Troy. Right. Uh, well, let me actually say one thing first. So this is right now one of the downsides of our recording pace. Because how fast Constitution Dow happened, by the time people hear this, the re- Ken Griffin thing would have been 10 days ago. And it yeah, feels no, like no. old news, but still new to us. Having said that, the reason I'm bringing it up is this. Listen, people... If you want us to be recording and spinning stuff out like within 12 to 24 hours, we're going to start needing to see some people being like, yo, where's the Dow? I know you've been saying we need more drum beat. Put the reviews on Apple. Hype us up on YouTube. Like we're not feeling the full love right now. We're feeling a lot of love. Yeah, we're we not feeling the, hey, let's, let's turn this around in 24 hours, love. I mean, if you guys want me to live stream with Jack and Bilal five days a week, it's on the table. Yeah, we just true. need to know how serious our audience that's is. That's true. Let's Because right get now, it going. our audience seems to be pretty happy with this 10 days later Ken Griffin no, case. To be fair, that's what you guys want? To be fair, this cool. is... To be fair, this is extra delayed because we because of Thanksgiving. Well, it's also that news was so insane, right? Like that, yeah, it that changed thing within happened a few so hours. quickly. All right, so quick recap for anybody that hasn't been listening. There is, I'm sure, some subsection of it. Uh, there is a small group of internet folk, about 30 people. They formed a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. Uh, a couple definitions of that is basically like a new corporate structure that's governed by smart contracts and on the blockchain. Or... Uh, a popularly known as a group chat with a bank account. So that one I really like. That's a really good explanation because a lot of these DAOs are starting in discords, right? So there's your group chat and then 
Uh, they use this uh, uh, software or platform called Juicebox where you take Ethereum donations. Anyways, they raised $47 million to bid on a US, the U.S. Constitution. And as Bilal alluded to, the winner was Ken Griffin, the CEO and founder of Citadel in uh, securities. And uh, Citadel Securities is a moneymaker. And Citadel Management is the investment management firm. Uh, I mean, the, so he's so a re- could so you just explain a, real quick? Because one's a hedge, like they're a hedge fund and a market yeah, maker, basically, right? What's yeah, a market maker a for people fund. who don't know what that is? So a market maker, uh, their job in the stock market is just to be on either side of the trade, right? They're keeping things moving. So like, basically, if I wanted to sell Tesla, I wouldn't, uh, a lot of times I don't want to have to go out and find a buyer of Tesla, right? So what you do is go to the exchanges and the market maker's job is actually to keep the market liquid. So they'll buy and sell. Uh, they'll take either side of a trade, but they take a little bit of the spread on each trade. So they do just massive trading volumes, right? But if you take a couple basis points off each trade, uh, but you're providing liquidity in exchange for providing the liquidity, you make a shit ton of money. Just to speak about how much money they make, Ken Griffin is worth $20 billion. He's the richest person in the state of Illinois. And if the name sounds familiar, it's because earlier in the year, Citadel was one of the main players in the GameStop Wall Street bets fiasco. And what basically happened was that a lot of the Redditors and Wall Street Bets folk thought that Citadel was stymieing their trades around GameStop, basically telling Robinhood that, hey, you have to stop selling and buying of this asset because we can no longer manage the risk. Basically, the TLDR is this, as a market maker, you demand collateral because there's something known as a T plus three in uh, trading. So probably familiar with this. It's like when you execute a trade, it doesn't settle I think it's two plus two actually for two days later. So basically in that 48 hour time span, there's there's credit risk. There's risk of counterparty, right? There's counterparty risk. So the market maker's job is to manage the counterparty risk. And in most cases they can handle that liquidity. But in this case, it was so insane. It was so extreme that uh, they went in. Uh, It wasn't just Citadel, some other market makers uh, that had to basically tell different brokerages that we don't trust the collateral you're putting up. So we're just going to tell you to stop letting these trades happen. That is the overarching story. Some people disagree with it. They think there's collusion. So basically the whole point of that is Ken Griffin is hated by He's millions. the big bad boss of the game yeah. of the online game yeah. right now. He like is the hated. Robin Hood game. He's um, yeah. hated. Isn't there one other component to this of them uh there's a exchange of data that happens between Robinhood specifically and Citadel, right? Trade data. Right. So the, the, exactly. Right. So uh, Rob, Robin Hurd's business model is forwarding, they get payment for order flow. So they get all this information about the orders that are coming in and they forward it to Citadel to execute. And then to Jack's point, it's like that all the information. So technically you could quote unquote front run these trades. But I mean, in I, what I will say to Citadel's effect is like, that is such a dumb way to do it. Uh, mainly because you can already make a multi, multi trillion, a billion dollar business just from your existing business model. Why do something so obviously illegal? And uh, and I mean, that that actually was for decades, people thought that Bernie Madoff was front running. Uh, that's how they thought his hedge fund was, or which was really a Ponzi scheme, was making 15% a year, every single year. They thought because he was a chairman of the NASDAQ, which is insane, right? So they thought that That's he- mental. I know. So it's like, and his, and he had a company that was a market maker. So like, it's like Jack said, it's like, he knew what was going on. So people thought, and that's a really good thesis, right? That's actually why a lot of people were like, they couldn't believe how even simpler his Ponzi scheme was. 
They thought they had the answer. They're like, he's front running. But it's like, no, no, it's not even that difficult. This guy literally had a checking account with $10 billion in it. It was like paying people out every month and getting money in. It was like the most unsophisticated thing in the world. But they had this layer to Jack's point about what people thought about Citadel. So again, the whole thing why this is hilarious is that Ken Griffin's been shit on by the internet and young people, like memes everywhere. Redditors probably like, this is kind of, you know, not cool, but like threatening him, right? And then out of nowhere. Probably we not cool. This- <laughs> <laughs> to clarify, it's not cool. Okay, not cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what's funny, last week, and you guys would have heard of it, uh, heard of it uh, right before Thanksgiving, Jack basically said it. Jack called it. Jack Butcher slash Jack Kramer, a.k.a. Jim Kramer for <laughs> NFTs. He said it himself. Jack, what did you say? I, I said to you, oh my God, this is amazing. I've never seen so much energy around a heat thing. And Jack's like, well, actually, they're signaling to other buyers what the market is and they can just come right over top. I mean, that's what you yeah, said. Isn't you that like it. number one rule in auction is no one should know what you're willing to bid, <laughs> yeah. right? So I think, to be fair, I do think the last stage of the public fundraise like i remember like on the day or the day before they quieted it down they they burned it down at 40 40. so you didn't know but i guess you could kind of estimate by that you can see it on juice box i think i think they just took it off the homepage. (laughs) oh it's transparent (laughs) like it's a wallet right so you could just look at the address on etherscan and see where the money is going so yeah that's like uh, that was uh, and it's the irony of like the relationship between Robin Hood and Citadel and this being basically exactly the same thing. Like, you know how much it's going to trade for. So yeah. you can you, <laughs> like have a cheat code essentially. And like, I don't know, bidding up the price of it, man, I, I was so shocked at the estimate price too, like 20 million for the, Oh my God, dude. Like, you, you said you thought it sounded low, right? Yeah. It sounded crazy. It's like for, for what you even saw, like I watched the whole auction before that. So it's like 20 or 21 pieces of contemporary art and they're selling for a good percentage of what the, you know, what the estimate of the constitution was. And just seems like, you know, ridiculously insignificant in comparison, sorry to whoever that was, but it's like, this is just like on a different level of historic significance. Yes. Um, yeah, it's fascinating to see it. And then, uh, yes, yeah, I think it's kind of, uh, there's kind of two, two different mentalities entirely like there was this like we're all going to make it let's pull our capital together and we're going to buy the constitution it's going to be great and then there's just like this cutthroat auction like you know back and forth i'm gonna outbid you and uh i think they couldn't even come in we talked about this last week is like there's i don't even think they could bid with the full amount right there's a 25 percent bias premium and then there's like insurance and all the transportation storage no you're right they exactly. like must have winged the calculation of in a couple yeah. of days credit to whoever put that together but it's still like um it might have been for the best that that didn't come off that way right because yeah. it's just it was it was so fast and so nuts um and now there's all this debacle of like what to do with the money. The average donation was 200 bucks and the gas fees to get your money back is going to cost you 190. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, tell so, me, hold on. Tell me what you guys think about that. And then uh, my, here, you know, I'll give my thought. I'd love to hear you guys talk. My thought is this. This was the headline from the article. Half of the 18,000 donors won't even get their money back. I literally just looked at it. I'm like, bro, first of all, <laughs> you're trying to buy the constitution. 
It's all in there. It's called a donation. If you're putting $200 in this, guess what? That's like going to watch Avengers for $200. That's how much entertainment you got out of it. That was my <laughs> instinct. I'm like, I'm like, bro, you're complaining? Bilal, are you mad? Bilal, when you lose no, your No, I just assumed this guy, I didn't put that much in. It was probably what is going on here? Having said that, they probably should have been way more clear about that. And you know what? This is the first time. That's my only thought. I'm like, bro, this is the greatest entertainment you could have gone for $200. Was, I mean, it's, it's well worth it, yeah one of the things that was significant about it is like, I think it was like 25% of the people that donated were brand new wallets yeah, or maybe that's legit. too high. Which yeah. I is think like it was a significant amount either way. That's great. And uh, yeah, don't quote me on that number, but the idea that these people are having that shit of an experience with that's crypto, awesome. their first that's time true. using it is not yeah. great either. So it's like, Oh yeah, I got involved in that constitution Dow thing. I donated some, money i transferred it over from coinbase and then just set it all on fire <laughs> it's like i think it's also really hard to pivot from that very singular focus right it's like if you're going to keep your money in there what are they going to do with it and technically you know i don't know this is all speculation not investment advice not legal etc but like somebody has custody of those assets now and they have to make some sort of decision as to how to steward it but i think they have a I guess they have a reasonable idea of like the intention of the people that donated. So, you know, it could go to charity, could go to like some other similar function in like displaying a piece of uh, like a, a historical artifact. So I'm sure they'll figure it out. But yeah, that's like, it's not a good look for the people that are like being onboarded into the space. And that's a bigger discussion in general, like 200 bucks to like complete a transaction is just kind of yeah. mental. Yeah, completely. Well, one thing I was going to add is I think, well, I, I've heard that online anyway, they were talking about being able to vote or something like that. They were giving people options if they want to keep it in or if they want to claim it back or whatever. Um, but the, it kind of brings up the bigger question of what we've talked about this on the pod before, which is like there's all these things you can do and sometimes using web3 crypto nfts etc can solve a real problem but often you don't need the blockchain to solve this and i think in this case this was quite a unique use case and people didn't have to do kyc and they didn't have to sign up in the us with a bank account so there was a benefit to doing this kind of dao structure at the same time you know like there was a meme going around that this was you know like crowdfunding with a new name right um yeah. which has been around and also like a, a transaction that shouldn't cost you 100 150 dollars to put 200 in in this case so and you know i think we touched on that in the charity one as well because sometimes the best thing isn't to do something on the blockchain but i think here the story wouldn't have worked without it being this kind of hot topic right like this wasn't just a normal crowd it was the thing. Per oh, it was the perfect, perfect storm it was just we talked yeah. about last week we're like this is the setup was just so beautiful from a meme standpoint right like legitimately not beautiful like hey i'm glad like people towards 200 dollars, right i'm just saying <laughs> the setup was just like i mean we just talked last week i'm like when i heard this setup, like oh <laughs> I get this. Like you immediately get it, right? I, I, the other thing I was going to add is specifically with Ken Griffin and Citadel, and I'm I definitely no expert on like how their how their setup works. But even more than the Robinhood stuff, in a way, crypto is basically going after like their sort of setup, right? Like they yeah. are the market maker. They're 
crypto allows me and you to become a market maker, literally using the same phrase, liquidity provider on DeFi. You're mm -hmm. basically becoming mm -hmm. that middleman the way they are. They are the middleman, right? Like the, when a transaction goes through, they are the middleman. So it's just like a perfect, yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's well, like the big boss of the internet. Well, Jack, um, let's ask Jack. Yeah. Let him apply his meme mindset to it, to what Bilal just said. What was Ken Griffin's play here? Did he want the U.S. Constitution or was it like Bilal just mentioned? He's just like, hey, you know what? There's this whole crypto thing that might, uh, you know, disintermediate me. Why don't I just take a shit nah, nah. on the entire front lawn? <laughs> I think, I think he's, he's a pretty, like, vocally opposed to most facets of crypto. At least I did a little bit of research and it's like he's on record saying, like, this is, you know, he hates it. Unless he's changed his mind on that. I, th I would, I don't know, I would say... The question is, like, was he a bidder before Constitution Dow was involved? Yeah, that's a good I'm gonna say way no. to frame it. I'm going to say no. I think he got in there to, uh, like, Rub it flex in. on him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be like, yeah, just to let him know, by the way, I've been doing this. I've been, yeah. I've been I think doing that's fair. this. <laughs> well, you know, what's, you know what else is interesting? Like, I was thinking about how you could make the Dow more, like, or make it more true to the like on-chain execution or the Web3 execution. Do you remember the um, Banksy piece that sold at Sotheby's and then shredded itself? Yeah. Incredible, yeah. Uh, yeah, badass piece of work. Like imagine if you bought the constitution and then you like scanned it in, turned it into an NFT and destroyed the original. And then That'll you distribute wild. ownership of that with mm. your, with your yeah. token approach. Obviously that's like, that's going to get some headlines. That's going to get some news too. If you like destroyed a $40 million document, put it on chain. But the, um, yeah, we talked about this last week, like the infrastructure doesn't make, it didn't make like technical sense maybe, but it made like mimetic sense. Like that's how they got four. That's how they raised 40 million in three or four days, because also the normalization of like paying a thousand bucks for like a cartoon raccoon or something is like oh yeah constitution for 200 bucks that seems like a that seems but again, like a i think that's the messaging right it was like uh that was a, it was a donation like you were not getting fractional ownership of the constitution which is right. some of the criticism and somebody was yeah but i think you know they they did a they did a amazing thing thank you um one last point about ken griffin and then um, um uh, if you guys had more thoughts happy to hear those but i'm, I'm just my wrap-up uh he was trading stocks and commodities and fx in his dorm room at harvard set up like a satellite outside his room so people this is who we're going up against yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is not yeah. so schlep on the street here i love it i be flexed on him so hard man that's <laughs> on all of us bro i think that's he's a pretty sophisticated investor bro like, he's, not, he's, not, he's not he's not just uh, messing around for sure i wonder if he's like on wall street bets he's probably got like a little he's probably got a, like a anonymous account on twitter yeah. you know i'm fascinated by this whole anonymous account stuff because i think zuck must have been in the mix in the like crypto twitter with an anonymous account oh man, my I god you're right guys, man i reckon Dude. all everyone operating at this level is well, like Jack, around. talk through it man because you uh, I mean, you're very involved in kind of a crypto Twitter. Do you, and there's so many anonymous accounts, right? Like we talk about some of them out here, like Punk Six Five Two Nine, Count Madid. Like, tell me about. So you think these guys are all, as our friend Tom Osmond said, they're all giga whales? And yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are like really, um, you know, have huge reputations in the fiat world that are just like. <laughs> 
doing a uh, Fiat Weld. Bilal Zaidi. You got 500,000 followers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's like, I think there's also like, uh, you can get way stronger, like product or, you know, narrative market fit anonymously, kind of an interesting, the cost of being yourself anonymously is, you know, you're taking far less risk and, you know, re- reputational risk, right? If you have an anonymous account, if you're like affiliated with, a financial institution particularly like there are things you can't say and do and like endorse but um man some of these some of these um anonymous accounts on twitter the the engagement and the networks that they've built is just insane and, right the ones where they link their uh holdings too so you're just like oh my goodness right yeah and it's just i think it's proof that like the i think it kind of disproves some of the things that maybe were believed to be true a couple of years ago which is like authenticity isn't necessarily about like your face and your name. It's about how you, like how you communicate and how consistent you are in like, you know, your behavior kind of. And I think like, I almost regret not, not like figuring that out or trying that out early on. And it's so native to like the ethos and the philosophy of crypto that people who got into that space early, majority of them care about privacy and, you know, like, not divulging certain things about their life. And uh, it happens to double as like a really good, um, a really good way to build a network too. It's, 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 uh, it's like almost going back to the, you know, we're similar ages. When you first use the internet, you wouldn't have your name in like, Whatever, A- AOL, B- chat B-Z-D rooms or whatever. Emporium. Yeah. BZD's Emporium. <laughs> <laughs> Bling, Bling, <laughs> King, 786. <laughs> that was literally my eBay username. No That's line. it. Yeah, yeah, so Bling, Bling, King. I could see that yes. with 500,000 followers. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. what I was going to say, actually, speaking to you two guys who have obviously spent a lot of time building your Twitter accounts out, like, have you guys thought about creating a you know, like a more anonymous one or have, I mean, obviously I don't know if you, I guess it wouldn't be anonymous if you said you had it, but like, yeah. Oh, I have, I you have. Can, have you got I, I anonymous ones? It was, uh, it's not anonymous, but like I tried uh, doing, I mean, you, you guys will know it's like, I tried to do a very niche category. I tried, I tried to make a, like a meme account for dad jokes. And just cause I, I knew <laughs> oh, I could yeah. crank those out. Right. It's cause man, you don't, nobody wants to hear Like, I mean, you, you guys will understand that so you don't want to mix messages in the feed right because yeah, it, yeah. it kills the virality or the growth prospects the for depth it. of like that engagement yeah. right like but yeah. if you just go straight dad jokes because there are some pretty big dad ones actually uh, the dad at the dad's so i think like two millions in, in, across all social and i think they got bought for like quite a bit of money as part of a larger contingent but if you go super niche i mean we'll take liquidity right the funniest fucking finance jokes and uh I mean, if he, I mean, it's built that audience and he's built a massive business out of it. Right. Um, with his newsletter, exec sum. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely tried it. It is fun. Uh, I, I didn't go very far, but yeah. So that's but my do, do you miss like what made you not to keep doing it? It's just cause running, uh, it's a consistency, right? I was posting two, three times a day and, uh, and actually, you guys will laugh. The way I was growing, it was real old school. I was doing the whole follow unfollow thing. So mm. I'd follow up to the max every day, which is like, I think four or 500 Jeez. and then Twitter, Twitter starts throttling you. Right. They're like, okay, this is a freaking bot. Like, or they, they cap you at how many you can do a day. So I was literally following 500 people a day, 20% would follow back. And then like, so I get a hundred a day and then Twitter, 
basically says, hey, there's a lot of suspicious activity going this account. So then you're shut down for like two days and then you're back at it. And it's just not a great way to grow the account. Jack's, Jack's rolling his eyes. I want to hear Jack's take on. I remember when I first started like my agency accounts and that's what I would like. You go on the hashtag and you like every single picture yeah. in the feed for like whatever the hashtag <laughs> is. That is the most brutal way to like grow anything. And like the people who are engaging on the other side of that, it's like, obviously the connection isn't as strong as them discovering yeah. you organically. Um, but as you were talking, Trung, I was like, I think what this is kind of a, maybe this is going to be more of a concept in Web3 where people sort of like, you'd sort of decentralize your identity a little bit. So you have all these different interests or all these different like, I've definitely got things that I, um, you know, things that I'm interested in that I w that wouldn't necessarily like bring into my the feeds of my personal Twitter yeah. at the moment, and that, that has to be a behavior I think where a lot of people just find um, find like a little sliver and go deep in there. And I think like crypto Twitter is a good example of like the nichest of niche humor right like yeah. the island boys freaking cameo requests hard rock nick all of that kind of stuff where you have like <laughs> you're spending 50 bucks on this video and it's like how is there a market for this but there's like thousands of people can you, can you talk more about hard rock nick because you frequently send us videos of this guy <laughs> yeah, well, what's yeah. his, what's Jack, his every time it's i still don't one. know i still don't know so, so this dude i don't like it's really hard that I haven't wrapped my head around it completely, but I think um, this guy was like, you know, he's got a reasonable size Instagram following. He's like pretty out there dude. And uh, there's this one video that I think like um, skyrocketed him to popularity on crypto Twitter. He opens the video and he's like standing there with like this really, you know, he's got this like really, uh, what would you even call it? Like his facial hair is like styled in the most like outrageous way you can possibly imagine. It looks like Wolverine or something. And he's got, he's standing, he's like videoing himself in the mirror. He goes, I've got a question for all my haters at home. Where am I? And where are you? I'm on Rodeo Drive <laughs> shopping for a Rolls Royce, a $500 beanie, $600 belt. Don't let me remind you about my 14 bank accounts. And he opens his wallet. Just a like complete like troll video. And then um, that kind of just started circulating around, you know, crypto Twitter because people are talking about money all the time. And it's just like a, like a funny meme that goes along with that. And then the guy got a cameo account <laughs> and people started, you know, commissioning him. Some of the funniest stuff is like they'll take a tweet and get him to read it out. So it like gives this like layer of personality to a tweet. So the one I think I sent to you is like, guys, I need the price to go up right now. I've been checking the price. And the pr every time I check the price, the price is down. The price is dipping. Uh, what does he say after that? He's like, um, I've, I've over-invested by a lot. It is what it is, <laughs> but I need the price to go up. So this is just like a recurring meme. I think someone paid him to read the Ethereum white paper out, which is like- Oh my goodness. That's hilarious. <laughs> But man, he's just so like, he's he's, he's minting. Like, he's minting. He must be up like literally dawn till like like the middle of the night recording these things. But so six just, figures, easily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So legit, right? Yeah, I, I would say he's definitely he's definitely got to be taken down 
a grand a day at least. I don't even know what it costs to to hire him, but he's doing them back to back, man. And this Somebody- is like we've talked about this in the in the private chat. It's like kind of a I think it's a crazy arbitrage opportunity. Cameo in general, like there are these huge personalities, and you know, Hard Rock Nick in his own niche for sure. But there's like A list celebrities that will record a message. Boys. Yeah, exactly. Pumping some like this is getting into everything that we've talked about in this podcast in the last few weeks is like, what is the like ethical and legal implications of like somebody who people have like trust for reading off some script that they have no idea what they're saying? Like the guy that plays Logan Roy in Succession, what's his name? Brian. um, Oh, the actor? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The main geezer right? in succession. He like I saw one of him the other day. I think I sent it to you boys. It's like we're all gonna make it by like WGMI coin and like <laughs> he's just saying it. I'm sure he has no clue what he's saying. And you know, not that anyone's gonna take that incredibly seriously, but there is some like weird um like crossover moment there where you can we talk about deep fakes and all of this stuff where you can borrow the like trust or borrow the like significance of a personality to plug a message in a way that isn't like mediated as it was before where you go through an agency and they have a manager yeah. and they're just opening an app and reading a script it's pretty crazy well uh have you guys ever read uh seen a screenshot essays is like these sh- short essays about tech and business you might have seen these before this no it sounds good though no yeah I've seen uh, yeah i mean th- you've seen them below i mean he had a really good one about fame and how like uh it's Jack. To your point now is like when you do something, when you have your 15 minutes of fame, like let's say 20 years ago, you li- it would just be 15 minutes. That's it. Over. You're done. Yeah. Right. You're done. It was like uh, the kid with the broomstick in the garage doing the spinny, spinny stuff, and like got eviscerated by the internet. Like th- he's done. He has his 15 minutes. And it's over. But now, because like you said, you got direct these direct relationships. If that guy did the 50 minute spinny, spinny, he'd be like the cranberry juice TikTok skateboarder guy, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You have a direct relationship now, and you have cameo. So basically what happens is like that 50 minutes of fame, it actually can be a full life now. Yeah, we we can coin a term on the pod, long tail fame. There you go, man. Let me make sure. Hold on. Coining a term. I like that. Yeah. Let me make sure they didn't coin it already. (laughs) (laughs) And the dot PTC. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, but but you can't get any more uh, ENS airdrops, right? No, no, no. We're done. We're done with that. It's over. Long tail of fame. There you go, right? It's forever. So there it is. Uh, Elon replies a couple of my tweets. In the 20 years ago, I'd be done. But now I can just ride this fame forever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's interesting about it, though, is like, it's kind of, uh, it gets, it's like niche. Like Hard Rock Nick, is he's got his <laughs> niche now. And it's like, it gets more powerful the more he stays yeah, in that niche. Because there's certain people, like, I don't know, Jack Butcher, who would pay any amount of money <laughs> to hear him talk about anything. <laughs> Like we need him to do a not investment advice like pre-roll for sure. Okay, Why hold on a second. Do it? it doesn't Hard make Rock, any sense. Hard Rock Nick uh, cameo. All right, hold on. The I'll theme tune. How much the theme tune. The- hold on. Before we move on to the next topic, uh, Bilal, why don't you guess how much Hard Rock Nick costs? Uh, $300. <laughs> he found it. He's under 40 US dollars. Oh, no way. Wow. <laughs> Damn, we might do yo, that before the end yo, of this call. Hard Rock Nick needs an agent, son. For real. He is giving away the bag. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. my that's goodness. That's, that's, I mean, imagine even if he does 10, 20 of those a day, that's quite a lot of work. But like, I mean, if he's just reading off a screen and it's, I mean, some yeah. of them, most of them are 15 seconds long. That's true. Yeah. Killing so it. Ho- hopefully he's, t- hopefully he's stacking them up into the, into the, the double or triple digits. Here. Do you know what, what we should do is if we ever do ads, cause I know we, we've had people reach out to do ads. We haven't done <laughs> any great. yet. We just so only many. do the ads through cameos. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so we don't read them. No, I feel like we could do some pretty funny ads as well. So I want—I don't want to rule that out. But we should just get Island Boys and these guys yeah. to read out the ads. So we just transition to them. That'll be fun. Well, you um, know, I've, uh, Nick Huber's uh, Bromato thing. He got the Island Boys to plug it. I didn't saw he? that. Incredible. That was, that was man, very well played. I got to give it to Nick. That was like ter- <laughs> the one of the strongest things you can do on the internet is get eviscerated because you get the the viral fame out of it, but then embrace it, right? Oh my goodness! Good for him, man. That was amazing. Well, we'll have to do a re- we'll have to, uh, come back to that after it's uh, after it's played out for a week yeah. or so. We well, might have to get dis- Nick on to ask him ask him yeah, to sure, explain man. the bromado. Full disclaimer yeah. is that he he dropped me a bromado. I'm probably gonna have to tweet about it later. But uh, full disclaimer. You, wait, so that means you have a Solana wallet? Yeah, he he. So I, I opened it because he's like, "Hey, dude, I I'm doing this thing." I'm like, "All right, uh, here, advanced moves, man." Is you it real? Is it rare, John? Have you checked it out yet? I don't know how rare it is. I, I don't. I don't know what the. Uh, I don't know what the rules of rareness are. I haven't been. I'm not versed in OpenSea, but we can. We can talk. Hey, you could be a billionaire sitting here right now. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Uh, if that's the case, uh, I really enjoyed these 50 or 38 episodes with you guys. And uh, actually, guys, so I last thought on Cameo. Actually, I had the opportunity to interview uh, their uh, chief business officer, Arthur. I forgot his last name. Really nice guy. Uh, I asked him. I'm like, so I'm asking him. You know the devil's advocate question. I'm like, man, aren't like people gonna get sick? Like, if hard if Hard Rock Nick is doing a thousand videos, right? Like, fame used to be scarce, right? That's the value of it. I'm like, what? Who? Who's gonna want another Hard Rock video? They brought up a good point. He's like, well, actually, every interaction is literally new and different, right? So like, these are like, they are still scarce because that's one piece of content that is directed at somebody. Yes, they paid for it, but like, if he shouts out your name. Or he's reading the Ethereum white paper. That's basically a one of one, right? Like, you could pay again to do that. I'm sure that happens. But like, the idea just being like, if it's super personalized, like that is a very small niche. Um, it's very like sliver of content that really is kind of unique. So I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Genius business, man. It's, like, yeah, it's a, it is. Like it is completely genius, new idea, unreal. Would you bet on them? What, what in ten years from now, though? What do you reckon, Cameo? Do you think it's going to be around? Do you still think it's going to be? They Do you think they're just going to keep evolving to other things, or they? Uh, so something that he mentioned to me, which is very true, uh, which which actually struck very true to me, was this. He's like, "All right, you're Kim Kardashian, or you're Kanye West, or whatever. You're small hundred thousand person Twitter account, right?" Pete Davidson. Yeah, you're. Oh, you're Pete Davidson. <laughs> so you got a couple of things, right? He's like, "I want Cameo to be thought of in the same vein as an Instagram, in the sense of like, if you're a celebrity, you're gonna have an Instagram account, you're gonna have Facebook, you're gonna have Twitter." It's another touch point for you to interact with your fans. It's one of many tools that you'll have, but it's extra personalized. You can make extra money from it. And that made a lot of sense to me, right? It's like most of these celebrities have people running their entire social thing anyways, right? And like, what more is it to have like, okay, just manage all my cameo for me. Tell me how many I have to record. I'll, I'll knock off all of them in five minutes and make a G. You know what I mean? And I'm like, all right, that makes total sense. It's just another tool for somebody with celebrity to uh, interact with the audience, get paid for it. I just think there's an interesting like cost benefit and that like there's a certain tier of celebrity where if people know you're like you will 
interrupt your day to f- make 50 bucks to record a birthday <laughs> message. It's like, it almost makes more sense to do it for free from a brand perspective. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. Why, like you're cashing ridiculous checks for making movies or whatever else at the high end of celebrity. So it's like, a, I think it's just a really interesting, and they've pulled it off, so fair play to them, but it's really interesting to see um, what that translates to in like real dollars and how that shifts your perception of someone. I remember when Ari Gold, who's the guy that plays Ari Gold? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. P- um, uh, Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven. Didn't he put like a 15-minute Zoom call for like 10 grand? And people yeah, yeah, went yeah. absolutely apeshit over that. Like that was a couple of years ago or something. And uh, I don't know, maybe because... I don't know. Nobody thinks that Jeremy Piven's time is worth 40 grand an hour, but it's more like, <laughs> I mean, I, I completely understand why it's basically price it because if somebody is like desperate enough to pay that and that's like yeah. your, what would be an absolute no brainer for me to take 15 minutes out of my day to do this. And it also doesn't hurt my brand as somebody who's trying to land these massive contracts i think yeah. it makes all the sense in the world but he got eviscerated for it so i mean i don't know what you're going to talk to talk to him about for 15 minutes on zoom if you maybe you're like you know an ultra fan but it's a, it's a fascinating market like the talk about nfts frozen what was that um thread i think we talked about frozen asset classes which um oh the unlock when you unlock a, a liquidity of like a a uh, cars for uber exactly uh, empty rooms for rooms. Airbnb. yeah and this is like yes time of people who yeah. people admire or you know are um obsessed with in some way so it makes sense that somebody figured out how to do that and uh it's almost like you always think like how many more of these markets can exist and they keep popping up man someone keeps figuring <laughs> it out all right boys let's transition because uh this is actually the perfect transition we got Talking of celebrities going direct to their users. Do you see what I did there? <laughs> we got Hollywood decentralization and Web3. Um, I don't know what we want to talk about here, but Jack had shared a thread um, where, you know, we wanted to kind of discuss this idea. So, Jack, I'll pass it over to you, mate. What what was on your mind on this one? Let me... Uh, Do you want to share the screen? Yeah, let me pull up a screen share here. Yeah, I've given you permission. So the thread is from Roy Price, the former head of Amazon Studios. So he's very deep in the game of uh, trying to create content and dealing with Hollywood. Um, while Jack's pulling it up, the last thing I'll add is uh, when uh, when Game of Thrones was popping off a few years ago, Jeff Bezos stormed into like an Amazon studio meeting. He's like, I want my own Game of Thrones. And that's why they spent like $500 million on Lord of the Rings. So there you go. I can basically skim through this thread and then Trung's going to have good insight on like the economics of developing content. So I know he's written a lot about that. But Roy Price, Trung, you said the... Former head of Amazon Studios. Head of Amazon Studios. So I know what sure, not sure what he was doing before that, but obviously has a good handle on what it takes to develop original content. And uh, the title of this thread he wrote was Web3 and Decentralization Will Improve hollywood and I th- the general thesis as i interpreted it is um by incentivizing the development of content outside of these like hugely centralized studios you get people to take way more specific shots and you're much more likely to get great product over good product because you know big 
studios are as as all big organizations are like way risk more focused on reducing risk than they are they're developing the most insane product ever so um media is um also like the overhead on media is is significant but not in the same way as like developing a hardware product or things of that nature right so the, the infrastructure that can pull people together and align incentives in web3 to make content feels like to me at least less of a lift than like hey we're going to design a new iphone and it's going to like pull together engineers and things of that nature so um that was my interpretation of it and i think understanding from trung how some of those relationships work and the economics of the studios operate is gonna you know add a l- even more color to what he's describing here no i think you nailed the summary it was like uh he's basically saying that web3 and decentralized uh, financing uh will bring in better content because to jack's point if you think about a hollywood studio they basically run like venture capital firms right they're making mm. bets across call big studio will do maybe 20 movies a year so their portfolio of 20 movies they just need one banger that's it right that's the truth you one movie to just destroy it and you will make back that year's budget x fold right that's how they think about it it's very much a portfolio type of model but what that means is that you're concentrating your bets into existing ip sequels uh and stuff that you know it's a, that is why the avengers the and marvel universe was so well done they just stretched that ip as far as humanly possible right they made what, I think 18 or uh, to 20 films. Somebody put it succinctly. It's like, actually, if you look at the Marvel universe, you should just think of that whole thing as one series. It's like yeah. a television show with 20 episodes, right? It's like but the it, value investing of media, right? Yeah. It's just like they, they built that up. So what that means though, is that you're basically going to, so in my, in my small attempt at trying to get a really funny movie made, oh, it's so funny. We can talk about that another time. The script I wrote, oh, so good. Uh, but anyways, uh, we'll talk about that another time. So when we were going through financing, this is 10 years ago, so a little bit different now, but essentially same issue is like studios were looking to make 100 million plus movies. So big uh, big action stars, big Hollywood hitters, uh, comic movies, lots of CGI, or movies under 10 mil, right? Everything else is a dead zone. It's because a movie under 10 mil uh, that can travel well, like horror, horror travels internationally because you know it's it's scary and that kind of atmosphere it can be subtitled the language doesn't matter like fear can be translated uh, from many different languages right and uh so you're looking at five to ten mil or or under and then 100 million plus so i think what this relates to roy price's thing is this is essentially that a lot of movies that would have been in the 10 to 100 million dollar range which is original original ip never done before uh, outside of what quote unquote works for Hollywood, which is a lot of sequels, a lot of existing IP. Those now have a shot at getting funded because that dead zone can be uh, essentially mediated now by like, you know, like the way the constitution Dallas actually got funded, right? It's like you can go straight to the fans and raise maybe 20, 30 million to, to make one of these films otherwise would not have been made. And the point he brings up is squid game. He said squid game was in the Hollywood circuit or film circuit globally for 10 years. Script's been around. Nobody wanted to make it. They said this isn't commercial enough. There isn't appeal for it. But clearly, uh, there was appeal for it. And the thinking that went into making that movie 
never existed and never survived in the Hollywood system, clearly, right? It just never got made. But outside of the Hollywood system, outside of this, hey, major bangers or small movies that can go blow big, there's a chance. And I think uh, the Web3 decentralization, using the Constitution down model and take away all the things that went wrong with it, but you could see this stuff happening. People raising 20, 30, 40, 50 mil with a DAO. I don't know how much this comes into it because obviously you don't, you want some creative control, but you can feel as though you have some agency in the same way that like, you know, here are the people we want to cast for the lead role. And we're going to put that to a vote potentially. Like that's the, that's a really crude example of how you would have people weigh in. But I also think what's cool about this stuff is like, maybe it takes you away from pure financial speculation as like funding a piece of art in the same way that, well, I think actually what's interesting about it is I like your framing as a Hollywood studio, as a venture capital, like yeah, vehicle, you're just facts, right? right? They're all products. Like a film is a product in the same way that like a Snuggie is a product. Like you're hoping that you can pay less to make it than you sell it for and sell enough of them to keep putting money back into the business to make better stuff and hire more people, et cetera. So that, I, that framing is kind of interesting where you think about if you were, like you said, Trung, you're going to spend a hundred bucks to take your family to the cinema to see this movie. Instead, you put it into funding this thing that you're really excited that about. That would be and amazing, man. Yeah. You get to see it first and you know, you get, you do the, the first showing and the director's cut and the like, you're behind the scenes. I just think there's like some big unlock there in terms of like people being really invested in, in like media franchises. And there's a, there's one example. Uh, it's like really early in the board ape universe. It's called Jenkins, the valet you guys heard of this. No, one of the, like one of the board apes has a, an agreement, I believe with CAA which I forget the what the acronym is, but it's like this is like Something California artists. arts, yeah. and it's like a a rep like um, a firm that represents on screen talent. talent. Yeah, yeah. So they're um, the people behind that project have raised money, got like members in their um, in their DAO. Not sure if they're calling it a DAO, but it is an organization of people that have money in the project, and they're voting on. They're writing a book, they're making a movie, and they're voting on the script, the characters, the plot. And uh, again, tapping into a like a franchise that already exists, but might not be executing in this very like in this specific space of like making movies. So um, I think in that world it's gonna be way more tied to like tied to financial return in a way that, you know, maybe introducing it to an audience that isn't crypto native would be a little different. Like if you wanted to, you know, be along for the ride for the development of the next season of Game of Thrones, you and you pay for the privilege in the same way that you would like go to a theme park or like, you know, take, uh, buy the toys that go with the, um, that go with the movie or the, the TV show. So yeah, it feels like just a, a more sophisticated um, way to get people involved in the process. So we'll, we'll see what, what plays out. But the early iterations of it are obviously like rudimentary.
And someone like that acknowledging it, someone who's like running a business of that scale, which is got to be responsible for like a good percentage of the media streamed around the world. Like that is a big nod to this being a legit thing. The potential, yeah. Yeah. The one, only thing I was going to add is, yeah, I overall think it's kind of a cool idea. Um, but it kind of comes back to what we talked about before, which is how's that going to be an added benefit to just like a Kickstarter with, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, totally. and there has been indie films, you know, where people fundraise and people do feel that ownership from day one, but it's seen as like an initial contribution. And now you are, it's talented. People go figure it out and we'll see it at the end. Whereas what you described is maybe a little bit more involved. And, you know, like you said, maybe there's stages along the way. People get to vote. They get to feel more involved. It's more of a, like a community-driven collaborative approach, which in one way is really, really cool. In another way, you could say, well, there's a reason that, you know, world-famous director is the director and you're the yeah. watcher. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're a horse, what is it? A horse designed by committee is a camel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, no, but but I, I think Bilal, yeah. you nailed, dude, I just want to address one thing. I, you brought up such a good point. I, I actually think I'm like, oh. Man, I think Bilal is right here. Like, what is how's this different than a Kickstarter? I think I, I just did a quick scroll through his uh thing and he mentioned uh I think uh, part of it is like in the web three world, essentially, you know, when you make these transactions, uh it just it's all automatically cataloged, right? It's just like if your identity soon becomes uh, in, uh, kind of tied in fully into your web three identity, is like now you get to see similar to how you go to somebody's portfolio of NFTs, you get to see everything. Now you get to see the contributions to Jack's charity, the contributions to different movies. Because right now, like, there's not an easy way for you to show. I mean, you can go to profile on Kickstarter, shows a project that you you uh, have funded, but that's not going to be the same in a world where the table stakes is essentially is like, hey, listen, everything that you want to show that's been involved in is just right there, and it's easy for everybody to see. It's it, 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 it's it's easily displayed. And we talked about it with the charity, right? It's like, you don't have to be gauche about it and be like, hey guys, look at me. Like I, I supported a charity. It's like, it's just right there, right? Here's my portfolio of things I'm interested in life. I feel like there's that part of it, but we aren't there in a normalized society yet where like this is better than Kickstarter to Bilal's point. It's like, is it actually better than Kickstarter? I, I'm not fully convinced either. And you know, and you know what else? Oh, go on, Jack, go on. I was just going to say another thing is like, I wonder how open people will be with their media dire yeah like how willing people are to broadcast the fact that they watched all 12 avengers films like <laughs> in certain circles that's like what yeah. binds like people and they like consider themselves huge fans and others would be like this is a guilty pleasure or something that i don't necessarily want to you know a tie to my identity so i think that's another interesting thing about just this whole space in general is like yes the portfolio of actions is useful in evaluating somebody's like ability to invest well or, or pick out trends. But it's also um, another sort of chalk mark in the column of like pseudonymous identity might win out because you don't necessarily want this sprawling um, attachment to things that you wouldn't necessarily like want to broadcast about yourself all the time. Like there is some wall between like who you are as a person, what you enjoy doing in private and like what you want to, what you want to broadcast out to the world. Like, you know, the, it reminds me of like the Farmville things, you know, when the Farmville is like kicking yeah, out like 20 invitations a day. It's like, Oh my God, how long has that person spending playing fucking Farmville? 
<laughs> it also reminds me of on Spotify, you know, on the right hand side where it says the music you're listening to. Private yeah. session. Like not everyone yeah, wants yeah. you wants to know you're listening to Spice Girls uh, <laughs> at 4 p.m. You know what I mean? Bro, or imagine all your Netflix. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a good Spice bro. Girls. Give, give us your song. Come oh, on, I mean, bro. all of that. I, I don't know the names, <laughs> but like as soon as it comes on, I'm singing it, of course. Um, yeah, Spice Up Your Life or whatever it is. But yeah, so there's that's one. And then the other one is like like Netflix, if everyone could see you watch Emily in Paris in one session, you know what yeah, I mean? Are you, how are you going to feel? You know what I mean? I don't <laughs> no, actually, I can... my YouTube watch history, man, I want to keep that, keep that one of myself. I oh, went down definitely. some weird rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that'd be just do it on the burner account. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it's like i was giving a i think i was giving one of you two access to maybe jack because he was adding thumbnails and i was like realizing i was accidentally <laughs> using that account to watch my normal youtube and i was like wait a minute i don't know i mean there was nothing crazy in there but you could easily go down 40, a rabbit hole 45 <laughs> hours of cherry on re highlights it's like oh. jesus Bilal, relax dude could be a lot worse than that man yeah uh, wait yeah. hold on I, I one last thing about this was uh Let's assume that in a completely frictionless world where all the constitution doubt issues were solved, right? Where there's proper governance, you actually get to vote on something. It's clearly defined what you're voting for. And, and crucially, there's no gas fees. Let's live in that world right now. Perfect frictionless world. You invest in a project. It shows up in your portfolio of things you've invested in. Uh, you get to vote on some aspect of it. Like, what color do you want the, uh, this scene filmed in sepia, right? And then, and then if the movie makes a profit, automatic distribution uh, uh, to uh, all the contributors. So that's that sick. world we're living in. Yeah, yeah so you know, yeah, that's it. As you're describing that, you know, I think it could be interesting for as well is like the pilot process. You think about just like how fast you can get feedback from a market. Yeah. That could be really interesting. It's like the MVP of media can be potentially sped that's, up this way. That's interesting because the pilot, so pilots for people that don't remember, don't full know the full definition is when you launch a TV show, you create the pilot episode and it's extremely important, right? Because you have to hook people in that first episode. Like the traditional television system is just built around people filming pilots. Like they'll put millions of dollars in them making a pilot. And like, if that one episode fails, like there's no show, Right. But to Jack's point, you maybe spin these up faster. So back to Roy Price's point is that, and, and something we, we've been discussing is if you're a studio producer, right? Like a traditional studio producer, think about your incentives. It, it's the same as Jack alluded to for big business or when Bilal was working at Google. It's like when you're in a comfortable organization of that size, it's like you're not going to be taking 10 out of 10 swings anymore, right? Like you're going you're gonna to be happy with a six out of 10 product. It's just like, let's keep the ball moving. Let's not have a existential risk or something that could blow up what's going on right now, right? So that means the risks are no longer happening within inside those organizations, which is why big tech acquires so many small startups. Actually, a report came out from uh, these antitrust cases. Over the past decade, I think uh, uh, the FANG companies, uh, Microsoft, take on Netflix and Microsoft, they've bought, I think, 600 to 700 startups and most of them are under $10 million. So like, you know, all the risk is happening outside of the companies, right? So I think what Roy Price is saying is like, you can start having more of this riskier projects like a squid game happening outside the studio system, but now there's liquidity of funding for it because people will be willing, presumably to pay for it. So we'll see. Again, goes back to Bilal's point is like, is this actually better than Kickstarter? You know, and that's, I think what you just said there kind of triggered a thought in my head, which is, that does sound better than what is currently here, right? Because the key component added is 
early stage fundraising and like for the, right now you can MVP a pilot on YouTube right like you could put it yeah, directly yeah, out yeah exactly and you just see if people pick it up but the problem is you then need to build the skill set to understand how do I build an audience on YouTube and how you know like that's a whole different skill set versus the creative part um, though I guess even with creating a DAO or like any fundraising effort then you need to learn the skills for that so I don't know I mean I, I, I do like the idea of um like building on top of like version one of fundraising right now or like crowdfunding and i think there is a better version to be made through DAOs or community driven projects i just think that's always a question i would ask myself if i was creating it is like what am i doing here that is unique to using Absolutely. blockchain using DAOs? if it's literally just a story and it gets me impressed that might be the reason but i think it needs to be like at least you need to think that through and I, the kind of last thought i have on this is you know, we're all obviously fans of this world. But like recently, I've been reading a lot of tweets, which are like, one day we're all going to see everyone's, what's it going to be like when everyone can see each other's wallet and we see how much wealth we have. I'm like, what are you talking about? No, like <laughs> people are not going to be able to see all. I mean, yeah, you can see Bilal's got a toad on his Twitter profile and like it might be verified with NFT. So, you know, I had at least X amount to buy that. But you're not seeing even, you know, all the private stuff you hold. And it's just I think people are getting a little in the weeds with it sometimes without questioning like what you know how it's actually going to be useful for people and people are always going to have secret money you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah exactly well in all the in all your all, all accounts right is like listen man here's what i hold but then my uh my under the kettlebell yeah, you know what I mean? kettle. <laughs> <laughs> all right the, no that was a good chat i think the, um definitely a lot of potential there and we'll follow along the one thing i will call out since we uh just talked about this idea it was a, there's a company called royal dot well royal.io is a domain name and they just raised 55 million dollars um and one of the co-founders is the open door co-founder uh justin dross and the dj Blau, I think is how you pronounce his name. I'm such a boomer right now, but three L-A-U. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah, so I think it's pronounced Blau or something like that. And uh, anyway, so that is an idea we've talked about on the show before, which allows people to have ownership in songs directly with the artist and they'll earn royalties in the future. So that to me sounds similar to what you're describing there, but for music as an art form versus film. And um, so I, I think there's going to be versions of this that we haven't really imagined yet. Um, but so yeah, that, that's quite a cool development. Let's talk. Uh, was there anything else before we move on to? Uh, I was just going to say, well, I've I've not read anything about the royal thing, but I've been thinking about this a little bit. Um, like the component parts of a song are pretty interesting uh, when you think about smart contracts and uh, like re the culture of remixing, where you know if a beat of a song is is incredibly popular like the behavior right now is people will take it to soundcloud take it to youtube like like produce a version of it by themselves and i don't know typically if the like what the royalty structure is for the producer that made that beat originally so you can imagine a future where like the component pieces of a song have um like markets attached to them individually yeah so i, I and uh, we're talking about like media i think maybe like the dow idea of like you know, a bunch of screenwriters and directors and whatever else would have a entity where they like can essentially build products and then 
they would interface with like an Amazon to get the distribution. So I think maybe the organization on the creative side, the DAO is like, okay, let's self-organize here and not let the studio be the like the arbiter of like the relationships between the people who are producing the thing. We just make the thing and then Amazon has to pay us. Oh, that's interesting. That's yeah. Because uh, obviously so much of the role of the studio is coordinate all the different elements. Right. But I mean, again, you're asking like a DAO to coordinate. And again, we're seeing what happened with the constitution now aftermath. So like once those things get sorted. But that's what I'm saying. Like the, the, like there's no reason why the, the coordination talent doesn't become part of the 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 entity that sits outside of the distribution but who who knows man like i think these guys obviously know what they're doing and we've talked i think the best example that sticks in my mind is the iphone it's like certain things to make them amazing you need like One. almost a lunatic level of like <laughs> devotion and direction from the top down and some, a lot of people have said like a DAO is not a, I, I read a tweet this morning. This guy said a DAO is not a democracy. Like you can set it up with whatever rules yeah. you want. Right. And I think there's like this, this strange assumption at this point in time that it's supposed to be this like come one, come all, everyone, one person, yeah, one vote. Everyone gets an equal vote. Well, yeah, listen, exactly. man, no. direct democracy is like, well, look at the state of politics in the United States. Everybody every four years thinks the other half of the country is an idiot, right? It's like, right. This is not like, every four years, just yeah. Oh, yeah, everything <laughs> constantly. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, so I wanted to, the last thing I want to talk about this because uh, uh, Jack brought it up and I, I do think it's so interesting because music, music copyrights are fascinating. Okay. So let's, let me break. There's, there's six components to a single song's copyright. And this is why, again, we don't want to do, to Bilal's point, because he's the policeman on this now. Every you don't want this hand wavy thing saying, "Oh, it's a DAO," right? It's like, how is this better than the existing world, right? And which is such a great point. So, each song is broken into uh, into two main parts. One is the composition of the song, and another is the actual recording of the song, which makes sense, right? One is like, okay, people are writing out what song will sound like, the lyrics, and then the other parts of recording. That makes so much sense. So those are the two main parts. And then each of those parts are separated into three parts. So that gives you the six total. So uh, the composition and actual recordings are now separated into three parts called the mechanical rights. This is when it's sold in physical form or streamed. Performance rights, it's played on radio in live concerts. So those are that's the two parts there. And the third part is synchronization rights, movies, films, and games. That's crazy. Six components of a song copyright and uh there's an i mean you've talked about it too it's like managing this type of information is very difficult there's actually a company in australia that does uh they call themselves a linkedin of music to kind of manage all these rights and their their pitch is basically that they help people hunt down money that's owed to them it's called jaxta j-a-x-t-s-t-a so I'm just gonna say the like amount of slippage in that is yeah you know, is insane it's right insane right People but this is where blockchain comes it. in, right? Yeah, people Allow, have to report on it, honestly. There you go. <laughs> Be on chain. Well, no, I think we talked about this once upon a time, but I brought up content ID on YouTube. Oh, yeah. So any, anyone who's uploaded a video on YouTube with music, you'll know it goes through this check and it will say this song is present in this thing, uh, in this video. Do you want to... And you, basically, the, the music label or whoever owns it... Um, 
there's like two options, I think. They can either like monetize your video or block your video because it's, wow. they own the copyright. So nowadays, most of them will just say, oh, automatically uh, monetize. And if you think about the technology of that, that is actually pretty incredible. There's like a central database Amazing. that is like Shazam, right? Like the way we use Shazam, but in on YouTube. And within like a few seconds, it knows and it handles all the payment side on the back end. But that is for one particular company, right? It's not like yeah. for the whole internet and it's not for the world. Although it is pretty close though, man. I mean, like YouTube's it's, the biggest yeah, YouTube, music player in the true. world. Completely. So, but imagine that being everywhere and you're being able to, you know, there has to be a rule that everything played goes through this chain or whether that's the chain or some other technology that's more suited to it, who knows. Um, and we all had the chance to own a little part of that, the, the way that these guys are trying to make it. I don't even know if that's exactly what they're trying to do, but it seems uh, like it can, that's the kind of bigger vision. Um, but yeah, I, again, I think, like you said, Trung, it's just figuring out like, do we actually need this based on uh, the technology or is it just because it sounds cool? And uh, often, especially in, in this space, people just say like a massive kind of big vision without really understanding how it would work in the real world. So, um, And then they yeah. go out and raise $100 million for the idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Low shade to Royal. They sound like they're yeah. doing some cool stuff. All right. Um, I mean, Blau the- has already done like proof of concept this like, He's big into NFTs and stuff, right? Oh, he's a, sold he's a, a lot okay. of his music as NFTs. So it's like, I have a, you know, I would say not investment advice. They have an advantage because one of the, one of the founding team has done what they're trying to extend yeah. out the uh, ability to do, which is cool. All right. Uh, that was good, man. We're, we're moving yeah, along fun. here, boys. What's yeah, next? so the next thing we got on here, so look, it's Thanksgiving week. By the time people are listening to this, they would have had their turkey and they would have spent a G in Costco to uh, feed their six-person family. So uh, we've all noticed that Thanksgiving is more expensive this year. And uh, I think, Trung, you've been looking at this and going to explain why. And we all know, I feel like it might run Yeah, there's no surprises, right? Money printer goes... <laughs> burr but so uh what's going on man i know you've been looking at it yeah there's nothing too crazy i think it's just worthwhile to talk because everybody already went through and and you know what it's not too late because people will be doing the shopping for christmas season so right christmas holidays that's true yeah well first of all let me ask you below what are are you doing for thanksgiving i'm just here in cali we're just doing normal family vibes here are you cooking uh no not really i mean i i did it once already friendsgiving a few weeks ago and how was it? Was it uh, well, was it pricey? Yeah, man. I, I mean, in the end, I ended up buying like pre-made from like a. It's quite funny, a Jewish barbecue spot in Brooklyn. <laughs> a delicious. And, uh, it was delicious, yeah. And we we ordered that, and then a bunch of the sides because yeah, we were hosting people for the first time with that many people, and it yeah needed a little helping hand. So uh, yeah, that's how I did it, and it was mad expensive. It was, I was like, well, this is like going outside you know you might as well take everyone to a restaurant that's Dude, that's the thing man i man if cooking this is the problem with cooking at home if you're cooking at home and you got to clean the dishes you got to do all the prep and it costs just as much as going outside that's the worst feeling i hate that that's like my <laughs> least favorite thing in the world yeah, you're man. losing on all accounts yeah dude you're you're, you're tired what about the like, experience man yo bro i <laughs> enjoy the craft here, well, Jack, tell, tell us a little bit about your, your Thanksgiving spendings and your plans. I don't have a ton to talk about on the price, but I want to hear your guys' plans first. Uh, we're, um, we have 
family coming in and cooking at home and did the three store, you know, get the full list. Um, my wife's mom is a very talented chef and she put a big list together. So we've been out procuring all the items on that list. Turkey or ham? And let me tell you, mate, that's not, that's not <laughs> cheap. Turkey, turkey. Turkey. Okay. Okay. How do you, how do you guys feel on the about, side though, just in case? I got some New York strips from, uh, <laughs> yeah. from Costco, from actually. Costco. <laughs> but course, that's going bro. through the roof, man. The, the price of those steaks. Well, there's a joke, right? Jack went in to buy a single turkey, walked out with a thousand dollars worth of stuff, <laughs> a vacuum cleaner. With a vacuum cleaner, exactly. <laughs> it's not far off, yeah. It's not far. Well, just, I mean, yeah, again, nothing crazy. It's like we all know supply chains are, are, are crammed, like, and, um, and money printer goes burr. Everything's just up this year. It's not, like, it's not too bad, though. It's like the number from Wall Street Journal is like Thanksgiving meets up 7%. The sides are up 6%. Pies are up 5%. And, and apparently the things that have run out, uh, you guys told me if you got any of this. So pie crust, cream cheese, cranberry sauce, and liquid gravy are the most I got some liquid gravy. Supply. You got it? Oh, yeah. what, about, what about pie crust? You guys got the pie crust in there? I'm pretty sure we got everything. I don't. I have to double check on the cranberries. I'll give you an update next week on the cranberries. But other than that, I think well, we then, got it. Then the other thing, uh, now that we just walked through why it's pricier, it's no surprises. We could talk about butterball turkey. Oh my goodness, guys! <laughs> what, what is that? Are you guys from uh, butterball? It's probably yeah. the turkey. It's a turkey bought. brand, right? It's a turkey oh, okay. brand. I didn't know that. Well, no, no, no. you don't know the turkey. Okay, so listen. Oh my goodness, man! So butterball sells one in three turkeys in America. All right. And uh, Americans eat 40 million turkeys a year. So these guys are selling 10 million turkeys plus a year. And uh, they will have the busiest phone line this week. They run the Butterball Turkey Thanksgiving line. So they expect to field 100,000 calls. They have over 150 experts for like cooking and like chef's recipes to explain people how to freaking like use stuff. But what's interesting this year is- um, They have it, go, go back. They said they're going to field 100,000 calls. 100,000 calls, their claims. Rego- <laughs> I didn't know this existed. That's like the, the turkey hotline. Yeah, the turkey hotline, dude. So, I mean, here, put it this way. I mean, you said Celia Mom's a very good cook, but we know how hard it is to cook a turkey properly, man. It's fucking hard, So dude. much effort, man. It's so much effort, bro. It's so long, the basting, and like, you don't want to under... That's the thing that's scariest with me with poultry. That's why I don't personally like cooking poultry. You don't want to give people, whatever, salmonella or eagle eye, because, man, dude, undercooking freaking poultry, it happens a lot, you gotta right? You got to get that temperature to gauge in yeah, there. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. You got to get that temperature to gauge Give it a little poke. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so, Trung, one question, though. You did say last year they got smaller. Turkeys got smaller. Yeah, so a couple of things. Well, uh, last year, because of COVID, the restrictions were in place, right? So there's huge demand for smaller birds because people are like, why are we going to get a, a Costco turkey for, for 20 12 people? people yeah. We're just two of us having a turkey. Two of us having a, a socially distant Thanksgiving. But what happened, and this is actually very interesting, was that over the last five years or so, and this speaks more to like the U.S. economy and like agriculture and the U.S. consumer. So the actual small bird totally went out of uh, style. Nobody wanted to buy small birds, right? And farms made, they're like, why are we going to spend all this time into making a small bird? We can plump up the chickens in our, you know, disgusting like factory farm methods and sell fat chickens, right? So 
small chickens totally went out of the door. It makes sense. Nobody wanted them. And, uh, but that caused a squeeze last year because everybody wanted them and there was no, there was no inventory for it. And that was pretty interesting. But this year, everybody's back to large turkeys as Jack has alluded to. And then the last thing I'll say about Butterball is they make $1.5 billion a year. <laughs> just selling turkeys, killing the just game. selling turkeys, man. Unreal, That's mad. Right? That's mad. So that's all um, I got on Thanksgiving. All right. So, all right, so but overall, I, I feel like the numbers you said sounded lower than some other ones. One, I read. Well, five billion have, doesn't sound that many, right? No, no, or, sorry. No, 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 not that. Sorry. I was saying the price of stuff overall. Maybe the poultry and the sides and stuff aren't as high, but I don't know. It just feels, I was feeling like everything was way up more oh, than you're feeling like, is not, yeah. not is not insignificant though. Right. right. But Bilal is probably paying. I mean, well, Bilal also He's in bought, Brooklyn too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that to be fair i was getting my uh yeah from the guys at pokies they were sending that i had to go pick it up myself as well madness oh, yeah. but um yeah i don't know man yeah either way it seems like uh, even just speaking to uh regular folks recently over the last few weeks who aren't like following the types of inflation and deflation all the stuff we talk about in here they've been saying oh didn't realize stuff has got so expensive and and uh yeah i mean uh, I'm pretty sure people are actually noticing it this time around. Yeah. Dude, I went to a Korean restaurant last week and they literally doubled the price of their short rib dish. I just rolled in there and I'm like, you guys aren't even, what's going on here? What, yeah, what, what happened? Yeah. It's wild, right? You guys probably The seen- restaurants have definitely been up, yeah, because of, the, and they're also struggling to get labor stuff. Yeah. And then the prices go up. Yeah. So it's it's a tough one, man. All right, boys. Yeah, well, look, I think we can keep the Adidas Metaverse stuff for the next one. We can talk about that. But um, for everyone listening, happy Thanksgiving. Hope you enjoyed it last week by the time you hear this. And uh, anything to say to the to listeners, boys, before we wrap up? No, I'm good, man. Uh, again, uh, this would have come out before Thanksgiving if we were getting the proper signals from the market. <laughs> but instead, you guys are getting a belated Thanksgiving. So happy belated Thanksgiving. And uh and appreciate strong heavy handed here son yeah Yeah, gotta let him know Um, no but yeah Uh, Jack anything else I'll just echo Trung's sentiment there we're uh, we're ready to step on the gas we just need some uh, we just need some acknowledgement of the (laughs) acknowledgement (laughs) acknowledgement of the appetite for that that frequency so we know we're just suggesting this now but um, you know if we're gonna if we're gonna start doing that we uh we love some affirmations. There we go. We need a pat on the back as well, like anyone else. Here we go, All man. right, boys. Well, that, yeah, again, thanks again for listening. This is not investment advice, and we will see you on the next one. Cheers. Peace out, everyone.